Hi, I'm Elissa Nicole Trust, an actor and writer living in New York City. Hey, I'm Lauren Schaffel, an actress and producer also living in New York City. And, and we, we are Positive, Positive Creativity, Creativity Podcast. Positive Creativity is a podcast where we speak with writers, directors, and other artists about what they're working on, what's inspiring them, and how they stay positive in this industry. We are looking to shed light on all of the wonderful projects happening in New York and beyond. Our goal is to give creative artists a platform to talk about their work and to give theater and film lovers the opportunity to learn about more creatives and projects. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you with support from Ahava Theater Company. Lily Torre is a director, an actor, and the host of the Dreaded Question podcast, which features artists with parallel careers. Inspired by the stories of the amazing artists on her podcast, she created the Doing It Also workshop, which is designed to help artists find parallel careers that support and inspire them. Lily's goal is to get artists out of their survival jobs and into work that lights them up, utilizes their unique skills and contributions, and supports their ability to change their corner of the world. Welcome, Lily. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. We're so excited to have you here. Uh, So Lily, what is currently inspiring you? This is a fabulous question. Um, Well, as you may or may not be able to hear outside my window right now, um, there are very loud crows just doing their thing, telling some stories. And (laughs) so I would definitely say that there are a few things inspiring me, one of which is nature right now. I just came home to my hometown of Hilton Head, South Carolina, where there's lots of nature and trees and animals and the beach. So it's been really great to have a little more space than I did when I was in New York. Um, And honestly, as cheesy as it may sound, um, I also have to say my mom has really been inspiring me. She is the best in general, but especially right now, my family's kind of going through some stuff with my grandmother who fell recently and things have just been really hard, especially with COVID. She's been in a senior care facility and none of us haven't been able to go see her. Um, It's just been a really difficult time. And my mom is just handling it like a total champ and really keeping everybody together and taking care of everyone. So kind of being home and in the thick of all of that has just been really inspiring to see how she has been handling it. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your grandma, and I hope that she gets better soon. But thank you so much for sharing that. That's really sweet, and I hope that your mom listens to this. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Me three. Well, that's really wonderful, too. You can be close to your family, especially when when things feel a little little bit more difficult. I'm sure they're glad to have you home, too. Yes, I think so. So both Alyssa and I had the opportunity to work with you as a director. Uh, You directed Alyssa's plays, yay, Uh, Observance, and I Am My Beloved that were part of Ahava Theater Company. And yeah, you are just such a naturally wonderful, giving director. And it was so fun to see you dive in to these brand new plays. Um, we're curious, is that something directing, is that something that you've had a passion for, for a while, or how did you kind of find your way into directing? 
Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much. Um, and directing is much easier when you have an incredible group of artists who are willing to go with you on the journey. So thank you both for being so amazing. Um, but yeah, I would say directing is something that I have always been interested in. It was something in college that I really enjoyed. I loved the directing class that I took and you know, there were a lot of opportunities for student run theater things to like direct those. But I definitely, I remember in college, some of my professors saying like, oh, I think you'd be a really great director. And having that moment of panic that they, that I thought that they were saying that I shouldn't be an actor. Mm. And so it was almost like this resistance that I had where I almost dug my heels in. and was like, no, I won't be a director. I'm going to be an actor. And so my first few years out of school, I really didn't even think about directing very much. I was all in on acting and I could not be distracted. I could not be swayed. I could not be convinced to do anything else. And it really wasn't until I started taking class at the Jen Waldman studio and I started realizing how much more artists can have in their lives other than just being an actor that I really started to accept that you could have multiple pursuits, which also led to my podcast, which also led to my workshop, which led to so much of the work that I'm doing. But one of the things I'm most grateful for is the fact that it led to me embracing myself as a director and allowing myself to start directing and not feeling like it was taking away from my ability to be an actor, but actually seeing the ways in which it has fueled me and made me a better actor and has run perfectly in parallel with my acting career. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you figure that out because you were such an intuitive director. I mean, being a writer working with you was really exciting because you found things in this text that I knew so deeply that I never even thought about. And that's, I think that's an amazing quality. But also, I I agree with you. I think that I had a similar path sort of as a writer where it was like if I embraced the fact that I wanted to be a writer professionally, that it was somehow going to make me less of an actor. And now I think we're all so much more willing to embrace the multi-hyphenate, the actor-director, the actor-producer, yeah. the, the actor-writer, of course. But I think that that has really changed over the last few years. And thanks to people like you for empowering <laughs> artists to embrace all the parts of themselves. But anyway, um, so you mentioned your podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the dreaded question. I was so tempted when we signed on to say, Lily Torres, so what are you up to? Um, <laughs> wrong podcast. Um, <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know, after you listen to this, you should run to the dreaded question. Um, <laughs> Lily's podcast, where you ask artists, so what are you up to? And you unpack the different ways that artists find fulfillment inside and outside of their artistic careers. So can you share with us what inspired you to start the dreaded question and some of the things you hope your listeners are getting out of it week after week? Absolutely. 
I, first of all, thank you for not asking me. So what are you up to? Um, I really appreciate it. Not the most generous question, even though I built an entire podcast around it. We did think um, about it. We thought about it for a hot minute. We were like, nah, we'll let her off the hook. It would have been a great little prank. I, it would have really caught me off guard. Um, I, the the path to starting the dreaded question, it, I feel like every time I talk to someone about this, I I cite a different impetus, like I cite a different moment as being the thing that made me decide to start the dreaded question. But I think it's because it was such a cumulative journey of so many things. I think, A, just hating the question, so what are you up to? And wanting sort of, I don't know what I wanted more, like an antidote to it or an answer for why it's so awful, because it seems so benign. Um, and so I got really curious about that question and I started just randomly having these conversations with friends and just kind of talking to them about what is it that keeps you going? What is it that makes you fulfilled? Like, how do you stay motivated in this really difficult career path of being an actor? And I kind of started noticing threads and themes between the different conversations that I was having. And one of them that really stood out to me was the people who had something else in their lives were the people who felt the most fulfilled and felt the least need to sort of prove themselves as, you know, an artist or an actor. And so when they would hear the question, so what are you up to? They wouldn't quite feel that same dread that so many of us do. So I started to get really curious about that. And then I also was realizing that my survival job uh, in the restaurant industry was no longer sustainable for me. And I I just realized that I, I needed a change. And, you know, in because I was also having these conversations, I was hyper aware of parallel careers. They were really on my mind. And so I started thinking, you know, I I think that maybe I want a parallel career, but I want to talk to people who already have one and figure out how did they come up with it and how are they doing it? So all of those things kind of came together and I had the idea for what originally I wanted to do as a web talk show, which was maybe not the best idea. (laughs) So I ended up figuring out pretty quickly that it was meant to be a podcast and uh, you know, just started having amazing conversations with amazing artists who are doing incredible things. And my my goal from it in, well, my hypothesis in season one was that I was going to talk to all these people who had these parallel careers. And when I asked them, so what are you up to? They were going to be like, I don't feel any dread at all. This is amazing. And I love talking about it. And like, my life's amazing. But what I actually found was that, that that hypothesis was not true, that they did still still feel the dread and they did still struggle to come up with an answer. A lot of them would be like, oh, you know, like nothing or like nothing and everything or, you know, all these kind of non-answers. And then we'd have like a full hour conversation about 72,000 amazing things that they were up to. And I would always be like, why didn't you say that at the beginning? But um, I, I hope that what people take from it is a inspiration that it is possible to have more than one pursuit and more than one career path in this world. And that 
doing so will actually bring more fulfillment to your life and your artistic career path and bring you freedom. And that that journey to the parallel career is so different for everyone. There's no one path. There's no one way that people go about finding their parallel career or living it and doing it. And that, you know, it's possible not everyone's story will resonate with you, but someone's story might. And, you know, it's just like, it's just like theater careers. It's just like your acting career. No, no two careers are the same. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. And I've had a chance to listen to a few episodes of The Dreaded Question. And there is there are so many inspiring moments, even if it's your, you're not on the same parallel career, there's elements right. that cross over. I also think it's interesting, too, at a time in quarantine, when our artistic careers feel like they have been put on pause. Yeah. Uh, this is such an interesting moment to kind of figure out what are the things that make us happy? What are those possible parallel careers? I know for myself, it's been a moment where, okay, I can look to writing, which is something I've never considered myself really a writer. Alyssa and I have talked about this a little bit, but like jumping into an online writing class with, uh, yeah, which was actually taught by another one of our guests on the podcast, Gina Stevenson. Um, So shout out to the Writers Rock and Gina. And so it is a cool time to kind of explore what that is. Well, it's interesting, Lily, that you started this podcast about a year before this all went down with COVID and that you were having these conversations and shedding light on this issue, or I don't know if issue is the right word for it, but this idea that artists should have something else in their lives, maybe other ways to make to be fulfilled and also to support themselves um, in an industry that is really uncertain professionally, but also financially. And now a lot of what you were talking about is like, now everybody's talking about it. Like, what are the other things that I can do? What are the other ways that I can contribute? What are the other ways that I can make money? So I find it really interesting. I was looking at, I've listened to every episode since the first one, which is really cool because I didn't know you then. And I just read to it because it was posted in the Jen Wallman for him. So um, that's really, and I also didn't know your first guest. So um, I've been a long time fan. And- <laughs> and and yeah, so um, you know, it's it's just really cool that um that you started having these conversations and have so many examples of all of these amazing, amazing artists who who have done it as inspiration for people who are just starting to figure out that they might want to have some sort of a parallel career. But the truth of the matter is. I don't know that a parallel career is for everyone because something about it seems very entrepreneurial to me. Um, I'm curious if you agree with that, Lily. But also, you have definitions for parallel careers, thrival jobs, and survival jobs. And if a parallel career isn't for you, Lily, what is a thrival job? What's a survival job? Can you please tell us? (laughs) Oh, I would love to. I love this question. Um. You're, I would say you're mostly right about a parallel career being more entrepreneurial. I do tend to define it that way. And 
the main reason for that is because my belief is that a true parallel career at the very least is something you would not want to leave if and when the dream job comes along. Um, You might have to because of logistics or schedules or whatever, but you wouldn't want to leave it. So I think that so often, you know, having a more entrepreneurial pursuit or a small business of some kind allows you a lot more flexibility. So in theory, you know, if you're someone like Ali Benino, who has two baking companies, um, she can continue to be, I know she's amazing. She can continue to do a show and be in a show and still have her baking companies because she doesn't have to show up for a nine to five shift every day or what have you. Um, But that doesn't mean that it has to be entrepreneurial to be a parallel career. I do believe that there are established careers out there that, you know, with established companies that would qualify as a parallel career. It's just that if the dream job were to come along theater wise, you probably would have to leave, but the goal would be that you don't want to. Now, we all, you know, I'm going to guess that most people listening to this podcast right now have heard of a survival job and probably know what a survival job is. But just to boil it down, I would categorize a survival job as a job that you do to survive, that you literally only do because you have to pay bills. Um, It probably doesn't fulfill you that much and or has been described as soul sucking at some point or another. It's in an industry that probably doesn't interest you or if it does interest you, uh, maybe it doesn't interest you that much. And it's something that you would quit at the drop of a hat, no matter what, you can't wait to leave. (laughs) So when I was exploring parallel careers more, and I was thinking about, you know, ways to help people find parallel careers, I kept kind of getting stuck in this idea that I feel like there's something in between. There's something between fully delving into something that is uniquely, perfectly tailored and aligned to you and who you are and the change you seek to make in this world and something that you completely hate and want to leave and don't want to be a part of at all. Like there's got to be something in between. Hmm. And thus a thrival job was born. Um, I believe the moment that it was born was on Ryan Everett Woods episode of the dreaded question. Um, And he has a parallel career. He's such a great example when you're breaking this down because for him, his survival job had been in the restaurant industry which one could think, well, Ryan likes food. He enjoys cooking and baking, so maybe he would like working in the restaurant industry. But he did not, and it was soul-sucking, and he couldn't wait to leave it. But his parallel career is called The Baking Sitter, which is a company where he helps kids learn how to bake. He babysits them and teaches them to bake The Baking Sitter. It's brilliant. But he was finding that he wanted to feel a bit more qualified when it came to uh, his culinary skills. He was a natural born, amazing cook. He had, you know, been cooking with his mom since he was a kid and was really skilled, but didn't have training. So he was considering um, culinary school, but that was very expensive and also takes a lot of time. So instead, he started working for a company called Meal Prep Chef, which was actually also started by an actor. I didn't know that before. Hmm. Um, And so he was basically a personal chef in people's homes, meal prepping for them. And he got paid to do this. 
but he also sharpened his skills and felt much more qualified and much more that he had much more honed and realized skills after working at this job. And this was something that he could say to people, I'm qualified. I worked as a meal prep chef for X number of years, and it really bolstered his skills and his abilities. So to me, that is the epitome of a thrival job. He knew it's not what he wanted to do forever, and he knew he had something else that he wanted to be doing, you know, more long term. That would be his parallel career, but he it wasn't sucking his soul. He didn't hate it, and what it gave him was skills and credentials while getting paid to learn those things rather than paying to go to culinary school. So that's sort of how I categorize those things. Um, For me, as I was explaining this on actually another podcast, I had kind of an aha moment where I realized for me, in a way, acting has become a bit of a thrival job because really what I'm wanting to do more of now is directing. But what I find really helpful for getting my foot in the door and building relationships and even becoming a better director is taking acting jobs. So through taking acting jobs, I'm able to bolster my career as a director. And so as I described that to someone, I was like, oh my gosh, I think acting is a thrival job for me now. That's wild. That's really amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. That's so cool. The path that's kind of brought you to that point. Yeah. And I also think that a thrival job can be something that really allows you to invest in what it is that you're really passionate about. If having a, you know, a survival job, the idea is probably, you know, this isn't true of every job, but you're probably just able to pay your rent and eat. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, Which, and I've had those (laughs) for sure. Um, We all have. But my thrival job has allowed me to um, invest in playwriting classes and take classes at the Jen Waldman Studio and the Reboot and the Reveal Lab. And that's a really big deal because I feel for me that I've been able to sharpen my skills as an actor and a writer because I have a, a, a thrival career. And it's not the same as when I was like – waiting tables and babysitting and tutoring and like had a million jobs, but still not enough money to really survive in the city. So that is also a distinction that I would make. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I, I think too, another thing that's important to, to say is that a thrival job can also start out as a thrival job and become a parallel career. You know, you could find that it could look like any number of things. It could either be like, wow, I I didn't think I would love this as much as I do, but now that I'm doing this job, I really love this. And I'm, you know, I don't want to leave. Like I want to keep doing this work. And you could either find that your parallel career, that your thrival job literally becomes your parallel career, or you could find, I love the job that I'm doing. I love the work that I'm doing. Maybe I don't love it where I am at this particular company, but maybe at a different company, it would be the perfect alignment. And then this would become a parallel career. Or of course, you know, potentially you could spin off and start your own version of whatever that is. But, you know, just because it starts out as a thrival job, it it can also kind of just be a dipping your toe in the water situation and realizing that the water's fine. Yeah. So Lily, 
inspired by your podcast, The Dreaded Question, and all of the, the learning and discoveries you've had with that. You also recently taught a workshop uh, called the, the Doing It Also Workshop uh, mm-hmm. to help inspire others to find their parallel careers. Can you tell us how did that go? And was there anything you learned in that process? Uh, yeah, there were a lot of things I learned in that process. Um, <laughs> but it honestly was such a freaking dream. Like the group, we had a group of 22 insanely amazing change makers who were just so um, game and were so invested and were just all in from the get-go. And it was truly just incredibly inspiring to watch them work and to watch them be so vulnerable and open and purpose-driven. So many people had clearly articulated why statements people who didn't were delving, deep diving into their purpose and the change that they seek to make in the world Mm. to help their journey to finding their parallel career path. And, you know, the the workshop is designed, it's a four-week workshop with different exercises to look at what your parallel career may be from every possible angle. So hopefully, you know, Truly not every exercise will resonate with everyone, but every exercise will resonate with someone. And each exercise will trigger something for someone in the course. Because it is one of those things, you know, the thing about parallel career paths and what you, you know, will know if you listen to the dreaded question is everyone's journey is so different. And there's so many little tiny random moments that culminate together to create, you know, suddenly this fully formed parallel career. But a lot of times it happens and the person doesn't even realize that that is what's happening, that suddenly they turn around and they're like, whoa, I have a parallel career. This is what I want to do. And, you know, how do you, how do you condense that to a four week process when everyone is on such a different Part of the journey. Some people came in and were like, I don't even know what a parallel career really is. And other people were like, I've been searching for years, girl, like help me out. I'm lost in the wilderness. Huh. And it was really, you know, fascinating to see what worked for people, what didn't work for other people. And, you know, I think everyone left with multiple ideas for potential parallel career paths. Some people have decided which path they want to go on and are continuing the journey. Um, I have a a continuing course called The Parallel Path, which a group of people who are involved in doing it also are continuing on and doing. And that's an ongoing course where we keep nudging your parallel career forward. Because I really didn't want people to feel like, great, I did doing it also. Like, I have this idea now. Yay. Now what? You know, like that's where the real work begins. It's one of those things where so many people say, oh, I would love to have a parallel career, but I just don't know what it would be. And they Mm -hmm. think that that's the hard part is figuring out what it is. Like, no, 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 that's the easy part. But the, the hard part is really, you know, making it happen and getting it going. And there are so many different ways to go about that as well. Like, do you want to find a thrival job version of that to help bolster your skills and help you feel prepared for that? Or do you want to just dive in? Like, are you ready? So mm. um, doing the parallel path has been 
really exciting and fun and interesting and challenging um, to try to address the needs of people who are in so many different places. But it's, and it's something that I'm going to continue to offer. So for future cohorts of doing it also, they will have the option to also join the parallel path when they have completed doing it also. It's only for people who have completed the four-week course. And I think that will be really fun for the people who are currently in the parallel path to get you know, fresh eyes and new perspectives into the group, but also to see how far they've come, Mm. um, I think will be really exciting. And yeah, I mean, truly, I attribute the success of the workshop to the incredible people who were involved, and also to the amazing change makers who have been on the dreaded question and allowed me to learn from their experiences. I mean, at this point, we've done I think like 60 episodes. So I've had the opportunity to learn from like 60 different amazing people and really benefit from the the nuggets of inspiration from each of their experiences. So cool. And congrats on 60 episodes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. It's crazy. <laughs> yes. Oh, that is so amazing. So you sort of answered it. Um, I was going to ask what's next for the Doing It Also workshop. So you're going to offer it again and you have the parallel path. And do you think you may also bring it to universities in the Ooh. future? Alyssa, you read my mind. That's what I yeah. was going to Well, actually, I mean, and Alyssa may already know this, but my original intention behind doing it also was for it to be a workshop for college students. Um, And then, you know, with COVID and everything, so many universities were closed for the semester and, you know, frankly, scrambling, and it just wasn't the time for them to be bringing in they were, you know, busy figuring out how they were going to teach the classes that they had to teach and didn't necessarily have the bandwidth to figure out how to bring in someone to do a workshop. But also what I realized during this time was, yes, I do still believe that college students really need this. But right now, the people who desperately need this are all of the actors who suddenly don't have theater as even a shadow of an option right now. Right. Um, You know, kind of like you were alluding to earlier, Alyssa. And it really kind of held my feet to the fire in a lot of ways. One way was that I was actually meant to end season two of TDQ in April. And then was like, I can't end this right now. This is not the moment to, to put down the megaphone. You know, this is the moment to get up on the soapbox and shout it from the rooftops. So I have been on the fly recording episodes every week and editing them every week and getting them out there as quickly as I can. So I am actually ending season two finally, um, but I, I knew that I needed to keep the momentum of, of this message moving forward a little longer, but it also held my feet to the fire about creating this workshop. You know, I was like, I don't have any excuses anymore. I know that people need this. and I know that now is the time. And so even though my original target audience was college students, I knew that there was an audience needed to hear this in, uh, you know, the professional theater world. And I'm so glad that that happened so that I was, you know, encouraged to offer it to them because it was really amazing to see how much they did need it. And then yes, the parallel path grew out of that. And then also a, another Jen Waldman studio 
um, student, uh, Sari Wienerman, approached me a few weeks ago about an idea she had for a course called Make It Work. And she's also a big TDQ fan and listener and knew all about thrival jobs. And she was like, you know, I was working on this course because the company that she works for, uh, her thrival job does a lot in uh, the world of recruiting. So she felt she had a wealth of knowledge about what types of jobs are hiring right now, what they're looking for, and how to market the skills that we as theater artists have in verbiage and just in ways that other industries could recognize those skills. So she presented this idea for this course to me, and I just was like, whoa, people need this, and people need this right now, because it's basically a course to help you find a, a thrival job and figure out how to actually get it. Mm-hmm. So we were like, well, unemployment is more than likely ending soon. So we got to do this now. So immediately after doing it also ended, Sari started teaching uh, Make It Work. My husband's actually taking it because he was like, wait, that sounds really cool. I think I need this. And so he's been telling me how amazing it is every week, which has been really awesome. And yeah, it's been going super great. So I'm hoping that we can continue to offer that if, if Sari wants to stay on and keep doing it. So I'm looking at running, doing it also the, the second cohort of it in mid-September. Um, and I'm not sure exactly when the next round of Make It Work might be, but it will definitely be happening again, happening again as long as Sari wants to do it. I'm really, really excited about what you're doing because I just think about in my first few years in the city and how treacherous they were <laughs> and how how amazing it would have been if I had the dreaded question to listen to, if I had the doing it also workshop, if I had um, if I had Sari's workshop, like everything about what you are doing is so necessary. And yeah, mm-hmm. so I really really hope that we can um, inspire others to get on it um, so that yeah. we can gain some agency over their artistic lives. So I'm conscious of time, but we have two big questions for you now. Great. So you recently shared with us that you've decided to take the Alt-MBA. Yes. I'm so insanely excited for you. Can can you please tell us what inspired you to make that decision? First of all, what is the Alt MBA? And second of all, um, what what do you like? Why are you taking it? What do you want to get out of it? We are so excited to hear about it. Oh my gosh! Well, the Alt MBA is a a month long course created by Seth Godin, who's a brilliant thought leader and marketing expert, genius, change maker. He has absolutely changed the way the world of marketing works. And he is someone that I just admire so much. And he has created this course, the Alt-MBA. And one of the head coaches of the Alt-MBA is Peter Shepard, who is also my coach and someone who is very important in my life. One of the many, 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 many amazing things that Jen Waldman has done for me is connect me to Peter Shepard who absolutely helped me change my life and has been such a huge source of inspiration to me and is definitely someone 
who, if I hadn't met him, I would not have done any of the things that we've talked about today. So I am very grateful to him always. And one of the ways that he has helped me out was encouraging me to take the Alt MBA and helping for me to make it possible. And, you know, that's how Peter and Jen met was in the Alt MBA. And I've heard so many amazing things about it from both of them. And I think for me, you know, right now just felt like the perfect time for all the reasons all of us can imagine. It, it was easy to commit to because I didn't have to worry about, well, what if I'm, you know, busy doing a theater? What if I get a theater job? Or what if something comes up? Like what's going to come up right now? So it was very easy to decide to do it now. And so many of the excuses were gone. And also, you know, where I'm at in this journey with uh, doing it also and the podcast and all of this, the thing that feel, you know, my knowledge gap, the thing that feels like it's holding me back is business acumen. If I had a little bit more business knowledge, I, at least, you know, this is the story I'm telling myself, right? Is that business acumen is holding me back. So I guess we'll check in at the end of the MBA and I'll let you know if that was true or not. <laughs> but I think what's going to be so amazing about it is, you know, the, co- the cohort that you're in, most of the people who do the MBA are not theater artists. They're mostly business people in a variety of um, aspects of the business world. And I'm so excited to learn from them and to learn from their perspectives and to learn from what they find interesting about my perspective. Because I think that will help me hone in on the ways that our artistic skills can really manifest themselves in the business world. I mean, already one of our, our like first prompt, the course hasn't even begun, begun yet. And they did like a, a, an intro prompt. And a lawyer wrote about how he randomly read a book about film editing and all the ways that it made him a better lawyer and helped him realize that the order in which you tell stories has an impact on the way the story is received. And it lit me up. I mean, it was so exciting to read that. He's like a prosecutor, like what a like serious job. And to hear that he was inspired by a book about film editing was really meaningful to me and illuminated to me how, again, our artistic skills are can be valued in the world outside of our art, outside of theater. So I'm really excited to kind of gather a lot of those those nuggets and ideas and just grow and expand my mind and maybe get some some reach into other industries to better understand how we as artists can solve their problems and bring our skills to them. That's just really exciting. I am so thrilled for you. I think it's – I'm really, really excited to hear about it after the fact. And yeah, it seems to be a common theme this season, or I guess Kate Lumpkin was last season, but a lot of, it's coming up a lot that artists have all of these incredible superpowers that Mm -hmm. are really useful in other industries. Yeah, definitely. Totally. So we'll be excited to to touch base with you after the Alt-MBA and see how that how that went. Yes, I can't wait. So to shift a little bit, we've been asking everybody this season a pretty big question. So 
As the calls for long overdue change sweep every aspect of our society, the BIPOC community and white allies have called for change within our industry, which is rooted in racism and white supremacy. What are some of the actionable steps that you think all artists can be taking as individuals in this moment to create a more equitable industry? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge question, but I think... I think there are a lot of ways and I think the way to not get too overwhelmed by how many ways there are is to figure out your lane. What is it that you do? What is it, again, what is the change that you seek to make? Because I guarantee whatever that change is, there is a way to instill anti-racist practices into it. And there is a way to find the ways that the change you seek to make could potentially perpetuate white supremacy and could potentially perpetuate the same problems that we've been having for far too long Mm -hmm. and question and challenge those things and learn about them so that you are going about your change and truly being, as Dolly Chogue would say, the person you mean to be. We all think that we're good people, but we all need to be better people. That is so much more important than being a good person because saying, oh, but I'm a good person, that is not growth-minded, that is fixed-minded. If you've decided that you're a good person, then you're not seeking to grow and change. But if you have decided that you will be a better person, that's actionable, that's ever-evolving, that's growth-minded. So I think that's one way to decide that you're going to be a better person. I think choosing your lane, figuring out how you go about creating change. Not everyone needs to go about it in the same way, but you need to figure out what your role is and really commit to it. There's an amazing, um, I'm forgetting the source of it, but it kind of breaks down different roles in change making. I'll see if I can find it and send it to you and maybe you can link it in the show notes, but it, it breaks down the different types of change makers and what their role might look like. And I found it really illuminating. Um, and then I also think continuing to question and challenge everything. So for me, that's, that's one element of my podcast that I really hope that even if people listen to it and they're like, I still don't want a parallel career, that's fine. But I hope that people take from it questioning things. So we come, you move to New York city and you're going to be a waitress. That's always like the, Oh, are you a waitress? Cause you're an actress. <laughs> what if we question that? What if we decided it didn't have to be like that? And I think that we, especially as actors, need to be better about questioning absolutely every element of our industry. Like what one change I would really, really love to see on the other side of all of this is holding auditions at different times of day. Hmm. Why do we have auditions during the day so that no one can have a job that's outside of the industries that need workers at nights and weekends like that makes no sense to me amen to that yeah but but no one questions it it's just the way that it is it's the way it's always been done but this is an opportunity for things like that to change so I think we need to continue to question and we need to continue to demand change we need to continue to educate ourselves I went to an amazing um, small business town hall hosted by hello seven I've talked about it on literally every time that I've been on anything. So people are probably sick of hearing me talk about it, but it's really incredible. And one of the speakers of the evening spoke about um, that 
first comes awareness, then comes analysis, and then comes action. Mm. And so many people try to skip from awareness to action without doing that analysis. So awareness might look like, oh, I might have white privilege. And action would be, you know, protesting in the streets and doing all the things. However, if you don't learn, okay, why might I have white privilege? Where did white privilege come from? What is the history of white privilege in this country? How does that contribute to white supremacy? If you don't really analyze what you're talking about, then you're going to be unprepared to truly fight for this cause in a way that can create change. We don't need ignorant people fighting for a cause. We need informed people fighting for the cause, knowing why they're fighting fighting for it and knowing why you want to dismantle the thing that you want to dismantle. So yeah, I feel like I just went on a bit of a rant, but it's obviously something I'm really passionate about. And I also have to call out that, you know, I myself am learning and growing and I may listen back to this a month from now, a year from now and say, wow, she had no idea what she was talking about. Like, that's not at all how we create change. But to me today, we question things. We continue to push for change. We analyze the questions that we have. We analyze why we have the privilege we have. This feels like how we create change. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And the way that you've just illuminated that is so inspiring. Um, this this idea of always looking to to be better and what can we and this idea of change. Um, and that's actually something on this podcast as well that we are, Alyssa and I are constantly talking about how can we grow? How can we change? How can we um, amplify voices that are not ours? Um, yeah, a long overdue moment of, of change and reflection. For all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And Lauren, this is going to be my uh, book recommendation for the episode. We always end up cutting it. Um, but... <laughs> So Lily mentioned Dolly Chug's book, um, The Person You Mean to Be, and that is, I think, such a must read in this time. It is one of the best books I have ever read. And I think both of you probably know that I read about two books a month. I am quite the reader. Um, it is an absolute must read. I will link it in the show notes. And if you are not a reader, she also has a TED Talk. Um, but thank you, Lily, for saying all of that so eloquently and so specifically. Um, you had some that was a tough question. And I think that I'm, I'm really impressed and grateful for the way that you answered because it gives me a lot to think about as well. Thank you. So thank you so much, Lily. This has been such a pleasure. Yes. I, you. I have loved having you on. Oh my gosh. I was just about to say the dreaded question. This is not the dreaded question. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast overload. I have loved having you on Positive Creativity. You are such a bright light in my life and in this industry and in the greater world. So thank you for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for creating this podcast. I know how easy it is to say that you're going to create something. And I know how hard it is to actually do it. And I know exactly how much work a podcast is. So I'm truly so impressed and amazed that you both are doing this and that you've committed yourselves to a second season. Congratulations. 
Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, yeah. And I will just mention how helpful you were in getting us started. Uh, your podcasting 101 class and just all of the times you so graciously answered my texts and emails about random things. The fact that we're on Zencaster right now is because of you. So thank you so much for your help in getting us started. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Of course. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. We always love hearing from you. You can email us at positivecreativitypodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at positivecreativitypodcast. And for more info on our guest today, please view the show notes. Join us next time on Positive Creativity Podcast.